Welcome to Global Connections with Robert Siegel, Navigating the New Normal, presented by the American Friends of Rabi Medical Center. Our monthly leaders forum addresses vital issues facing society and technology, real estate and medicine, technology, and science. My name is Dr. Joshua Plow. I'm the executive director of American Friends of Rabi Medical Center, AFRMC, a 501c3 National American Charitable Organization based in New York City. We at AFRMC represent Israel's premier hospital, Rabi Medical Center in Petah Tikva in Greater Tel Aviv, the leading institution named in honor of Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin. The hospital is a motto of coexistence as it serves 1 million patients annually from all ethnic and religious backgrounds with the same compassionate care. Please support our mission in this free public affairs program with a donation of any amount. Visit us, American Friends of Rabin Medical Center, online and donate at afrmc.org. Join us on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook. We depend on you, our audience's support, to help the hospital in Israel. So thank you if you can contribute any amount. Our host and moderator for Global Connections is Robert Siegel, former host of All Things Considered on National Public Radio for 31 years. Over the course of an hour each month, Global Connections features guests who Robert Siegel interviews as they explore important issues in our world. Today's Global Connections topic is, how old is too old to work and to lead? We thank our special guests. Jeffrey Sonnenfeld, Senior Associate Dean of Leadership Studies and Professor of Leadership Practice at the Yale School of Management. Laura Karstensen, Professor of Psychology and Public Policy and Director of Stanford Center on Longevity. And Dr. Felix Benninger, Deputy Director of the Department of Neurology at Israel's Rabin Medical Center. And now, Global Connections with Robert Siegel. Thank you, Josh. The questions that we're addressing today about work, retirement, leadership, and aging have been making a lot of headlines this year. Joe Biden's age figures to be an issue used against him in his campaign for re-election. Republicans often dismiss President Biden as too old for the job, even as their rank and file rally around former President Donald Trump, who's just a few years younger. California Senator Dianne Feinstein was absent from the Senate for three months this year, depriving uh, Democrats of a majority that could issue subpoenas from the Judiciary Committee. Uh, she was suffering from shingles, and there were calls from some Democrats for her to step down in favor of someone younger. Uh, she is 89. One of the most sensitive uh, political issues when it comes to federal finances is always funding Social Security, when the retirement benefit was created back in FDR's time, average life expectancy was around 62. Uh, today, it's about 77. Now, that's 15 more years of Social Security checks to send out. Uh, in France this year, uh, the issue of raising the retirement age from 62 to 64 led to nationwide protests and uh, political uh, disputes of all sorts. How does age affect our ability uh, to work, especially if the job is a difficult one. 
Uh, are we typically less sharp for a job that's intellectually demanding or typically less strong for work that's physically demanding? Or do wisdom and experience of the decades make us more fit uh, to work and to lead rather than less? Uh, these are questions we face in our personal lives and in our national life. Uh, and we have three very interesting panelists to address them today. Uh, you too, by the way, can take part in the Q&A session in the second half hour of our panel by using the Q&A button at the bottom of the screen. You can submit your question that way. Our first panelist is Dr. Laura Karstensen. Uh, she is professor of psychology at Stanford University, uh, where she is the founding director of Stanford Center on Longevity. Uh, she trained as a clinical psychologist and her research program, I'm quoting now from the Center on Longevity's website, uh, includes the study of motivational and emotional changes that occur with age and the influence such changes have on our cognitive processing. Now, Professor Carstensen, uh, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Robert. Uh, nice to be with you. Uh, I mentioned that life expectancy is, is 77. Uh, actually, as you told me, it actually dipped down to 77. It was up to 79 uh, before mm -hmm. COVID. Uh, how do we how do we stack up against other countries when it comes to life expectancy? Uh, and not very well compared to the countries we generally compare ourselves to. Uh, that is, uh, life expectancies in in Western Europe and many parts of Asia are are substantially longer than life expectancy in the United States. When Americans typically retire, uh, first of all, when do they normally do that and why? Uh, because they have to, because they want to, or is some mix of all the above? Uh, some mix of all of the above, actually. Um, the, the modal retirement age in the United States is 62. So we, we tend to think of retirement age as 65, um, but 62 is the, the youngest age of eligibility. And, and, and that is the most typical age that people retire. It's important to know that a lot of people are out of the workforce before they get close to retirement age because of disability. So there are a significant number of people who aren't able to work even to 60 and um, leave the workforce, not on retirement social security, but often disability. I, I, that quotation from the website, uh, motivational and emotional changes that occur with age. Uh, what are we What are we talking about in in uh, in uh... <laughs> single syllable word English. <laughs> the, the longer our life expectancies are, let me say the longer our time horizons are, uh, the more motivated we are to prepare for this vast and nebulous future. So motivation is, is about learning and expanding our social networks and our social worlds. And then as, as time horizons grow shorter, as they typically do with age, people come to prioritize uh, emotional meaning, satisfaction. Uh, they're less interested in expanding and more interested in savoring aspects of life. And is, is, is retirement defined as an opportunity to savor more by, by many people? Not really. I mean, yes, some people, sure. Uh, but retirement represents very different things to different people. For some people, it's uh, a welcome opportunity to uh, spend more time with their families and more time and leisure. But for a lot of people, uh, retirement is unwelcome. They would prefer to work and maybe they need to work, but they're unable to. So we see lots of different responses to, to retirement. But by and large, it doesn't change people's satisfaction with life very much. 
one way or another, if you look at the, the overall average of retirement satisfaction. How, how real a factor is ageism uh, for people who, who might want to be uh, working uh, uh, past the age of 62 or 65? The, a large majority of people over 50 say that they have experienced ageism in the workplace. Now, that's a self-reported um, mm. uh, subjective rating. But the point is that most people do feel some forms of discrimination at work at relatively young ages. And you say in, in, in their 50s, people report. Yeah, right. Well, that's what I think of as a relatively young age. Yeah, I think that's pretty young. So someone pushing <laughs> right. 76, I'll, I'll go with right, that as a right. young age. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned Senator Feinstein earlier, and um, uh, that that absence from the Senate was caused by illness, not, not by age, obviously. And... Uh, Shingles can be an extremely painful uh, condition. But I, I, I was reminded of something that uh, the New Yorker's Jane Mayer uh, said a couple of years ago uh, when she, she wrote that for the last couple of years, I've been hearing that Diane Feinstein's uh, has been struggling particularly with short-term memory issues uh, so that her staff will brief her and then she'll forget what she's been told uh, or that she's been briefed at all. Uh, for somebody who's pushing 90, I mean, I, that doesn't sound to me as an, as an unusual condition. Uh, is it is it the sort of condition that uh, uh, really should make somebody step aside and, and let a younger person do the job? Uh, age alone uh, is probably not a very good criterion to suggest that someone should step aside. Uh, the estimates are about 35% of people over 90 have some uh, some variety of a dementia, some kind mm -hmm. of impaired cognitive functioning. And that's a lot. We should all be concerned about that for ourselves and, and for others. But it does mean that 65% of people over 90 don't have some form of, of a dementia. So we, we need to have some sort of balance here. Uh, there are people in their 90s who are doing extraordinary things and are functioning cognitively very, very well. But there it is a significant problem of old age, this brain disease we call dementia. Uh, because the questions of age that make news tend to be about people who are politicians or professionals or people in in in, in business, uh, it, I, we, we may leave out people who work in warehouses or uh, landscaping, uh, or people who lug things uh, uh, for right. a living. There, working deep into one's eighties is is a different question altogether, isn't it? Absolutely different. If you're working a job that uh, and physical labor, something that is it will strain you physically, then age is a, um, a an important variable to take into consideration. A lot of uh, physical laborious jobs have been automized, automated in mm -hmm. recent years, and so there are people still working in those jobs with assistive robotics, for example, uh, and doing okay. Uh, but yeah, it, it doesn't even have to be lifting something very heavy. Being uh, a waitress or standing yeah. in a cashier uh, register all day long is something that gets increasingly difficult for people physically as they grow up. Well, yes, I was I was just thinking of somebody actually at a checkout counter and and uh, considering yeah. uh, what it's like to stand in place hour after hour and uh, and do that work it would be it would be very trying. Uh, as sympathetic as I am, I, I wonder would if 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 we were both hiring somebody uh, to head up a project uh, yeah. of some sort at the at Stanford or or wherever, yeah. would we look seriously at an eighty five year old applicant? I mean, is is that um, 
Uh, does that happen in the real world and should it? Mm -hmm. From my perspective, it would depend on the job. Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, I should mention that the, the brain of all of our organ systems is affected uh, uh, relatively little by age. Uh, muscles, bones, much more so. Uh, so these physically strenuous jobs are more likely to, to uh, impair people's uh, working ability. But if the job was to think about uh, uh, a moral question or to try to solve, say, an international uh, crisis that was emotionally charged and heated, then I would very much be interested in someone who had experience and perspective on those issues. So I think we should, there are strengths and, and, and liabilities at every age. And uh, what we need to do is to kind of think about the fit of individuals for particular kinds of jobs. Well, Professor Carstensen, stick with us because we'll come back for the question and answer session uh, in, in a few minutes. But uh, next we're going to hear from our uh, second panelist, Dr. Felix Benninger. Uh, Dr. Benninger is a professor of neurology and uh, a deputy director of the Department of Neurology at Rabin Medical Center in Petah Tikva in Israel. He has taken part in the Rabin Medical Exchange Fellowship Program, spent a couple of months at the Epilepsy Center at UCLA. Uh, that program is sponsored by our sponsoring group, the American Friends of Rabin Medical Center. And Dr. Benninger joins us from Tel Aviv. Thanks for, thanks for joining us tonight for you. Thank you very much for the invitation. Happy uh, to be good. here. Uh, tell me, uh, let's say when you examine a patient who's 85 or you examine a patient who's 55, uh, what's different? What do you expect to be different about uh, about the older patient? Yeah, it's a very good question. I think it really uh, continues also the conversation and what uh, Professor Carstensen uh, mentioned. I believe that, for example, of course, statistics is very important and we have to know the risks which are changing statistically over the uh, ages and the diseases or the conditions which, which we can find. But really, one of the most important things is that at least I'm as a physician, as a doctor, I'm examining a, a person in front of me, one on one. I'm not examining a whole group of people at a certain age. And here, I think this is really important, uh, what was mentioned before, that we have to look for a certain kind of condition or for a certain kind of disease and not uh, for anything which we think in a whole age group might exist. So this prejudice, as we mentioned it already with ageism, is, of course, um, very misleading in medicine. We have to look for a symptom. We have to look for the signs which we can find on the physical exam. And from this continue on uh, without the, the prejudice of the age itself. Uh, I think this is a very important thing in, in daily medical practice. How do uh, the US and Israel treat uh, older workers and retirement differently? Yeah, I think, I mean, this is a very good question, also very uh, interesting for me because of my experience I had uh, through the program to be uh, working in Los Angeles and to see the differences. I have to say that in Israel, the um, age of uh, doctors and physicians in the hospitals of uh, having to retire is 67 for men, 65 for women. And um, this is a bit driven more by the idea that um, the willingness of uh, leaving the place for younger people, that they can get into the position and, and take over and have also their career. I have a personal experience of uh, um, in my hospital that this can be very painful, that very, very fit and very intelligent and still very capable people are forced to retirement. And for example, uh, in, at UCLA, at the program I worked at, 
the leader of the epilepsy program is uh, continuing to work until very, very uh, much later into the late 80s, still leading the group with all intellect. And I think this is really a possibility and has to be considered. So there's a quite a difference uh, between the countries. You said that part of the reason for, for the retirement of, of uh, a mandatory retirement at 65 or 67 is to uh, create opportunities for younger uh, doctors. This is what I think of as the, the Prince Charles syndrome, that uh, if we have people working to the age of 100, uh, we have people waiting until they're 80 to get a chance at uh, at, at at a senior at a senior position. Um, it used to be. I, I spent some years under the roof of the BBC, actually working for NPR, and they had a rule of I think a 60-year-old mandatory retirement age. Uh, but then people who who really were uh, were esteemed were put on contract, and they um, they had individual relationships with the BBC that continued. Is in Israel? Can can you can you get around these things that way? There is a possibility to get around. I mean, we have, uh, of course, places also where uh, retired uh, heads of departments, for example, can still be part of the of the group. And I think it's really uh, important, especially for the younger people, uh, to uh, to still learn and to see uh, how to gain from the experience uh, of the ones who live through much longer periods and much longer uh, have a much longer experience. And one thing, uh, as at least uh, from the focus of my uh, point of view as a physician, is that. There's a lot to learn and there's a lot of, uh, as we mentioned, um, a memory which uh, needs to be fit uh, to continue treating patients. But one of the most important things, I think, is uh, something called intuition, which is the knowledge of how to treat uh, patients even without having all the knowledge. And in my opinion, at least uh, through the years and with age, this is getting better, actually, so that there are certain kind of features how to identify patients or how to react to patients which might even get better with older age. Uh, instead of the, the maybe the common um, idea that it might be more difficult. So imagining a, a, a doctor age 75 and a doctor age 50, it's possible that the older physician uh, might have, uh, as you say, an in, in, intuition uh, that makes her or, or him uh, a better diagnostician, say. Yes, I think at least it is not the opposite effect that it excludes it or that they're automatically with older age. There is a less ability uh, how to treat and identify uh, um, uh, patients' uh, conditions. So I would be very uh, careful um, with the idea that only the chronological age has a factory of how well a physician, for example, can treat their patients. Let's uh, turn to another part of life uh, that uh, uh, where age these figures, and that is uh, in Israel, uh, what, what's the story on driving while old, DWO, I'll say? So in Israel, you have to have, of course, uh, uh, of course, I don't know what, uh, how it is here, it is normal to have uh, examinations, you have to have re-examinations of the fitness of driving. Uh, so this is eye examinations, uh, uh, um, and there's a center which is actually uh, having simulators if there's any kind of question uh, through the family physician, uh, if there is any uh, lack of fitness of driving. And of course, there's also um, a whole catalog of possible diseases which are not age-related, uh, for example, post-stroke or what my field of interest is, uh, epilepsy, which is not related to age, uh, where the question is arising if it's possible to, um, to still keep on driving. But for older age or an age limit, you have to start to have physical exams through the family doctor to get an uh, allowance to continue driving. 
I, I'm only half facetiously, I'll say, I, I haven't been to Israel in a few years, but from my experience of several trips there, I, I think I would retest the entire country when it came to driving, uh, yes. because it's a, it's, it's a harrowing experience. Uh, uh, that, though, what we're going to hear from, from uh, our third panelist, I think a different view of uh, driving and age. Sorry. When we spoke last week, I, I told you about an experience I've had since I think my mid 60s now i'm in my mid 70s uh, which is um uh often being unable to recall the names not of people i know uh, or know well but of people whom i've read or people whom i interviewed uh, 10 years ago 15 years ago names i used to be able to uh, uh recall like that uh and um i could tell you 10 things about them uh but not their name and uh for that i have to turn to my wife to uh, to to, to answer the question, what's happened to my brain when I when that happens? And I, I have seen uh, Joe Biden get someone's name wrong in, in uh, public and confused. And I look at it and I say, ah, you know, this is uh, this is what happens to us. I mean, of course, there are certain kind of conditions which can cause this. I believe, and um, as it sounds like from you, it's more uh, from my experience that this has more something to do with the uh, inability to concentration, that we are, have a bit of an inability to recall Mm -hmm. I think the name and the, the facts, actually, as you mentioned it, they're still existing. The memory is existing, and it, it just gets a little bit more difficult in that moment to grab to the right spot in the brain, to grab the name uh, which mm -hmm. is connected to it. And it has a lot of times it has something to do with, uh, with a, a lack of concentration in that moment. And sometimes uh, this can be even helped with tricks. One trick of yours, which you mentioned, is uh, to ask your wife, but sometimes it's <laughs> yes. tricks to uh, to memorize things in a certain kind of way, to make connections uh, through uh, uh, colors or to other experiences, and suddenly it pops back the name. Um, uh, I'd like you to stick around because we're going to have the question and answer session in a little bit. Uh, but uh, for now, Dr. Felix Benninger from Rabin Medical Center, thank you very much for, for joining us uh, today. Thank you. Uh, Jeffrey Sonnenfeld has been an outspoken, uh, uh, has been outspoken on the question of aging and President Biden uh, when the Wall Street Journal editorialized uh, that, uh, I'm quoting now, electing an octogenarian in obvious decline for another four years could be an historic mistake. Uh, Professor Sonnenfeld said of the journal editorialists, in 820 words, they could not provide a single piece of evidence for such a decline. Uh, Sonnenfeld is a professor and associate dean at the Yale School of Management. Uh, his field is leadership, uh, both in corporate governance and also in government, state and, and federal. Uh, and he's thought a lot about aging. Uh, dean Sonnenfeld, welcome to, to our panel. Uh, uh, thank you. It's an honor, honor to join you and, uh, and to join this distinguished panel. Annoyingly, <clears throat> Robert, I really yeah. agree with everything that's been said so far. <laughs> Well, uh, so far, um, uh, I, we, I asked Dr. Benninger about driving, and that was the first thing I asked you about, because I can imagine the criticism of Joe Biden saying, could he pass a driving test, you know, if we, if, if, uh, at, at his age, um, which is a trick question because they've changed how you drive, how you're supposed to hold the, the wheel, I think. Uh, what's the answer? You, you told me driving is the biggest red herring imaginable in terms of uh, uh, talking about ageism. Yeah, I mean, it really is. If you uh, went to an actuary from an insurance company, they certainly would tell you that the highest risk are, are teen drivers. Uh, and that's where a lot of the uh, the drinking problems are. That's where the recklessness and the wildness is. And that's, in fact, uh, we see the actuarial tables and, and also where the assessment of the higher premiums are, are on younger drivers, not cautious older ones. Sometimes the older ones drive more slowly 
And you sometimes hear satirical jokes about people in Florida on freeways because of that problem. But that's too bad. That doesn't mean that they're they're unsafe. When my my mom in her 80s uh, was went through a mandatory recertification of Pennsylvania driver's license, she managed for the first time in her life uh, to actually park uh, parallel park accurately. I couldn't believe it with one turn. So it was amazing. <laughs> and he still said, well, uh, Mrs. Sonoff, I'm just sorry. I can't pass you. Just look at your hands because she was arthritic. She said, well, it's been like this since I was 27. She said, yeah, but well, look at your age, you know, and uh, look at the year you were born. Well, you know, why even do the driver's test then if it's going to be that age biased? Set aside uh, uh, driving for now and talk about Joe Biden with you. Uh, I want to put two concerns about Biden and hear you respond to them. The first one is just that he's lost more than a beat since his days in the vice presidency or the Senate. Uh, he's he's aging before our eyes. Uh, and uh, uh, he, he just isn't doesn't seem to have quite the same acuity that he did 10 years ago, 20 years ago. What What's the answer? Well, I, I'd love to when anybody says that. Um, and since I love you, I won't put that spotlight on you. I'd love <laughs> to know them. What's the question? There's yeah. no evidence behind that question. Is uh, when Nikki Haley uh, satirically uh, uh, made front of the um, of, of Biden the other day, following up on the Wall Street Journal piece. I wonder, could could Nikki Haley have possibly mastered a joint session of Congress of the House and the Senate together in live time with no teleprompter and the whole world watching and joust with them and come out on top. He's very quick-witted. In fact, uh, people who know him well, I know him reasonably well, I've traveled around the country with him alone, I happen to be a, a Biden supporter, is he's better than ever. He used to be a little too loquacious. They used to joke that he was injected with a phonograph needle for anybody who remembered what a phonograph was. And in fact, <laughs> he, he actually is a lot pithier and sharper than he was. But you, you think of, of heads of state is, as as Laura was suggesting uh, early on, uh, uh, Professor Carstensen, is that is that it's been an, it's been an advantage thinking about uh, Benjamin Franklin at age 82 is the one who wove together the Constitutional Convention to bring apart a, a, what was a pretty divided nation. Talking about divided nations, Conrad Adenauer at 87, it was the only person with national spirit who could really bring people back in the post the you know the defeated post war germany charles de gaulle or uh churchill these people all came back from retirement to de gaulle four times to lead to a greater glory and it's our greatest diplomats in their mid 90s avril harriman but just think about who we have on the call tonight uh is uh is uh, uh into Israel, Yitzhak Rabin, uh, he he sadly died at age 73. He would have stayed on much longer. Ariel Sharon until age 78. Uh, uh, anybody who had issues with him, it wasn't his age. Yitzhak Shamir was 85. Golda Meir was 86. And she continued uh, very active for another four years in Israeli politics. Nobody complained about her age. Uh, uh, David Ben-Gurion, do you ever hear anybody say David Ben-Gurion was too old? And, and no, he was just very wise. And he he led till he was about 80. He was 79 years old when he stepped out and people wanted him to stay on longer. So, you know, I just think that this is uh, uh, there. there's a lot of sexism in society. There's a lot of racism in society. What's going on here are different isms. It's ageism and cynicism without any support, without any bias. Well, now, apart from the issue of, of alleged decline, uh, which, you, which you've answered, there's the question of mortality, uh, simply that uh, people in their 80s are... I believe, uh, more likely to succumb to to stroke or heart attack uh, uh, 
than people who are a good deal younger. So a vote for a seasoned, wise octogenarian is really, the Republicans would say, a vote for his running mate. Uh, what, what, how, how do you answer that? Uh, well, we don't we don't live forever, but I think what Laura would tell us uh, in a lot of the longevity data is that the the highest incidence of cardiac problems are in the mid middle years in the mid fifties. That also happens to be the highest drop off in performance is either depending on the profession, uh, but all fields, even manual labor, uh, there it's bimodal in terms of pr productivity and acuity. Uh, the, uh, the engineers tend to become obsolete earliest on in, the, in their late uh, 20s, uh, scientists uh, in, in, in their early 30s, uh, people in sales and managerial careers, there's a, a midlife crisis in their mid 40s. But in all cases, there's a second peak. It's bimodal. That mm -hmm. second peak, the performance is almost as high as the first peak. In terms of the uh, incidence of decline, there's no step function attack of the kind of uh, of uh, of dementia that 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 of course uh, Laura talked about it doesn't suddenly happen at a magical age and surely in terms of physical decline it there isn't something I'd I'd like to see uh, Nikki Haley or or any of those Wall Street Journal editors keep up with Joe Biden's uh, daily robust schedule those mm -hmm. those those uh, folks who joked the uh, journalists who joked about him getting his cuff caught in his his pant leg on on the bicycle mm -hmm. uh, I bet they couldn't have done the five miles he just did. Uh, some years ago, uh, you wrote a book called The Hero's Farewell about how CEOs handle probably oh, have a copy, <laughs> how, how CEOs handle problems of retirement and succession. Uh, and you wrote in that that you first became interested in questions surrounding retirement uh, when you were working as a personnel researcher for IBM, uh, which uh, was concerned about possible changes in the mandatory uh, in laws governing mandatory retirement. And you wrote that after looking at the IBM data, data from some other companies, uh, psychological research, you wrote, and I quote, I was struck not by the danger, but by the many advantages of retaining older people in the workforce. How, how is age actually an asset? Well, it's a wisdom and judgment. Uh, admittedly, the speed of reaction is slower. The, the, the Wexler Adult Intelligence Survey is a speed versus accuracy test that's often still been used in intelligence testing, shouldn't be. Uh, an older person doesn't tend to answer as many parts of the questionnaire of the survey as the younger person. A younger person uh, will take a wild guess with a lower degree of certainty. An older person, because of all that wisdom, will, will study the, uh, the, uh, the each question more closely and answer few of them fewer, and then will be penalized for it. So the Wexler Adult Intelligence Survey tells us the older we are, the dumber we are. But of course, that's ridiculous. It's an artifact. It's uh, due to the test itself. It's not actually proper intelligence testing. But wisdom really matters. If you really want to have somebody who's a pretty nimble on the on the uh, on the loading dock or the assembly line that you were talking about before, you probably would prefer, in most cases, a younger person. But again, it's we shouldn't do it by category. We should do it by ability. But still, yeah, physical dexterity. But in terms of wisdom and judgment, or people that who can sell and persuade diplomacy. That's way better uh, than than somebody who's who's a youngster. I don't think uh, anybody would say that. Uh, at, at considering some of the the many of the, the reckless young people we have around, uh, mm -hmm. that they're a better alternative in diplomacy or the business world. Well, Jeffrey Sonnenfeld, stick with us. But I'd like to bring back uh, Felix uh, Benninger and also Professor Laura Carstensen, uh, all of us together. And I'd like uh, first of all, Professor Carstensen, you've heard from. From your two fellow panelists, uh, anything you'd like to comment on what they've said or add to what, what you've heard? 
yes, I just want to say how proud I am to be part of this group. <laughs> These are I, uh, great discussions and responses to, to questions. I, um, I I would love to have a couple more hours to talk about work and 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 cognition and and aging and and uh, variability. You know, the, the one thing I'll say that that keeps coming up here, um, whether it's Dr. Benninger talking about patients or, or Professor Sonnenfeld about workers, is the heterogeneity. And it, it's a cardinal feature of aging is that on almost any variable you measure, the older the sample, the more variability you see. And so 20-year-olds are very much more like one another than 40-year-olds and then 60-year-olds and 90-year-olds. And so we keep seeing greater variability within those groups. And to ignore that and to just assume that older people are a certain way uh, grossly speaks against the data that are available. Okay. And uh, Felix Benninger, uh, your reactions to what you've heard from your fellow panelists? You know, it's not directly maybe related, but it made me think, and um, I agree with uh, Professor Carstensen's uh, and also the, uh, Professor Sonnenfeld. In politics, there are other reasons why we should be concerned. I mean, you are lucky in the US to have uh, rules and the constitution which keeps a politician to have to change, not because of age, but because it was decided uh, uh, that there's a certain time limit when people have to change because it's good to have change. And I see this problem and you know it probably everybody as uh, it is here right now in Israel. This is not a discussion about age, but this long, long terms of politicians to stay on for 15 years and even longer is a much bigger problem, in my opinion, than uh, the discussion about the age if uh, somebody can run again. So you have a, already a limitation which has been done not even considering age. This has had nothing to do with the decision. And I think it's a good thing. And we should respect that and not add another variable here to prevent anybody from running uh, um, uh, constitutional-wise. Mm -hmm. uh, Jeff Sonnenfeld, any other comments? Well, I think that's a very interesting distinction uh, that Dr. Benninger brings up. And, and I, of course, uh, that, uh, as, as Dr. Carstensen would say, many, many scientists' greatest work is uh, in uh, our artists, leaders, uh, have been in their later years, Nobel Prize winners. It's usually been work that's past midlife that they earned it. It wasn't work done in youth. A lot of research on that. However, as, as, as Dr. Benninger brings up, uh, uh, term of office is different. If you are uh, an artist uh, or a, uh, a scientist, someone who's solo employed, you're not blocking anybody else. Uh, and uh, last thing you want to do is take that canvas away from an artist. Uh, that's that's their purpose, their their dream, and things. If it uh, and it does, but a, um, a a violinist when they retire can go off and perform and as quartet or solos and things. If you take if you if you're looking at the uh, orchestra conductor and you take the orchestra away, that's that's her, her or his instrument. It's harder to replicate that. So we have to figure out what we do about terms of office. Is yeah. it's a separate issue than age itself, and people can re-enter. As I think that's a very very wise concern. I'd like to hear from all of you. Uh, there's a an obvious tension here, in that all three of you have made the case for uh, the great variety of. Uh, of abilities or disabilities that uh, people in their later years uh, have and how we should think in terms of the individual. Uh, yet society has uh, fixed ages for retirement plans, which uh, have to be in some way regulated. We're, gr we're growing older, we're living longer, uh, which means that we'll have a, a 
more significant population in the future of people who stopped working at some point and lived another 30 years. Uh, and somehow, uh, uh, obviously, the, the financial pressures on those who are still working and who are having fewer children with each generation uh, become become quite considerable. How, how uh, Professor Carstensen, how does one uh, square that circle or, or crack that knot, whatever it is? Mm -hmm. Now, as, as we're living longer and healthier lives in adulthood, uh, it makes a lot of sense to work longer for many people. We still have to keep in mind that there's a variety of in the population of, of ability and, and illness. And that's what makes changing policies like Social Security so um, difficult because you could be raising retirement age um, to encourage some people to work longer, but there are many people already out of the workforce because of disability. So what does that do to them? Um, there was an op-ed published in the New York Times years ago, and I remember the title better than the, 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 the author, unfortunately, but it was lawyers are living longer, so janitors have to work longer. And mm -hmm. so we, we have to somehow come, come to terms with that. But for most people, working 40 years and saving enough money to support themselves for another 30 is just not feasible. So we have to find ways uh, to allow people to stay in the workforce to some degree doing something for longer. Professor Sonnenfeld, what, what, what do you see as the, uh, the solution to that problem? Well, you know, uh, as where this all came from, and Dr. Carson was, I think, the first, if not Doug Benzer, to correct the misconception. We usually blame Otto Bismarck, social democracy, for the <laughs> random age sixty, random age sixty-five, is actually the life expectancy. And and I just learned again as we got ready for this call uh, from Dr. Carson and 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 you, Robert, that it's uh, mm. age seventy-seven. I think right now is in Bismarck social democracy. Uh, it was uh, age uh, seventy. Uh, two was the life expectancy, and they set it at seventy, not sixty-five. I'm not quite sure where the sixty-five mm -hmm. came from, but it wasn't. It wasn't uh, Germany's first uh, social, you know, social security system where that came from. And but you do see people that it is the irony of taking a look at a two-year extension in France right now, leading to all this social unrest. And here we have uh, uh, an octogenarian president begging for more is, and of course that wasn't lost on the White House correspondence dinner humor, what the irony mm -hmm. of that is. But you opened up with that, Robert, with the point about how it varies by profession. And there are work intensive professions where people love it. it. It could be as an entrepreneur, an artist or whatever, but there are some where people are exhausted and mm -hmm. maybe are entitled to take a break. And uh, that's hard as we separate it out. There, there are plenty of other things to do in that third stage of life. And I've been on the the board, the board of the National Council on Aging for, I hate to admit this, like almost 40 years now, uh, on and off. So we have some mm -hmm. rotation. Uh, but we're really worried about that third stage of life. How do we fill it meaningfully? Yeah. Dr. Benninger, uh, how, how does Israel deal with the, with the problem? I mean, Israel, as you know, I have to now mention it because we were talking about life expectancy and I have to proudly say that we are at 82.7, uh, quite uh, far ahead of uh, many other countries oh. also uh, yeah. compared to Europe. And this has something to do, which we mentioned before also, that we really try as a whole to become uh, more healthy, uh, not only just to get older, but also to be more fit and more healthy. And by this, of course, creating this problem, which uh, is something which we want to have elderly people which are fit to work or to continue 
um, enjoying their life. I mean, uh, we mentioned before that many people leave their workplace because of health reasons. This we have to try to work on to reduce that this is not happening. I have to say personally, I think in a retirement age as a suggestion or as a must has also something positive. I think there is a bit of a, um, a problem of people sometimes having the, the feeling that they have a duty to fulfill and have to continue working. And maybe a, a retirement age and the suggestion of a certain kind of age gives them an opportunity to change something, to do something different, to reorient again, that this is not until the end of their life, again, the same routine and routine, which we are, uh, which we did before, but maybe there's something positive about it to really change and to switch, to do something else, to refocus at an age where you're still fit and possible to do that. Now, Dr. Benninger, we heard uh, from from Jeff Sonnenfeld, un unmistakably, his view of of Joe Biden's fitness, or at least no evidence of his lack of fitness to be to be president. As a neurologist, you you look at, at Mr. Biden on television. You see the way he speaks, the way he walks. Um, do you see a man who's who's uh, ready to, uh, you know, if 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 things go bad, uh, have a job like uh, President Zelensky's job? Uh, uh, is 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 he up for that? I mean, I have to say, like, how difficult the jobs of both of them is, and I don't want to exchange uh, this uh, yeah. for, for no uh, opportunity here. The decision making and to make decisions and to be able to make decisions, I think this is the thing which we uh, expect from those people to do, to do the right decisions, to make a good assessment of the situation. I don't believe, but maybe people have different opinions that it is about the how much uh, weights somebody can lift and uh, again there was the mentioning of the of the bicycle and i'm a big fan of bicycles i go every day to work with the bicycles but if mm. somebody can ride a bicycle or not i'm not sure if that is the decision to make uh, if it could be a president or not so i think both of them have really a very very strong uh, uh, ability in difficult situa situations without knowing all the facts. Again, I mentioned intuition to make right decisions, to make good decisions and to stand to them. I don't see any kind of problem uh, um, um, how I see them on television. And, and, and Laura Carstensen, I mean, uh, your sense of, of uh, Biden's fitness? Well, I, I, I've thought many times about the kinds of issues uh, that Dr. Benninger is raising. Um, the kinds of changes that you see with age, where you do see some age decline, and you, we, others have mentioned this, is in reaction time, the speed of responding. And when we're talking about age differences, we're talking about milliseconds, you know, in, in mm -hmm. many cases. We're not talking about an hour, you know, where it takes you to, 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 to do something. So there may be a, a little bit of slower response, um, but that's really not the typical kind of important decision that our political leaders are making. They're making decisions based on a careful consideration of a body of information and weighing different alternatives. And with that, knowledge contributes importantly. And there you see older people having more of that, not less of that, uh, compared to the typical younger person. And so the kinds of decisions uh, presidents make are the kinds of decisions if, if I was voting on, you know, what, what we weigh the most, we, we weigh uh, careful, thoughtful, deliberative processing more than speed. You know, uh, uh, I remember Milton Friedman, the conservative free market economist, uh, he uh, made a collection in his life of pairs of, uh, of statements of folk wisdom uh, to prove that for every uh, proposition of folk wisdom, there is an equal and opposite. Right. So, so, you know, haste makes waste. Right. But a stitch in time saves nine. Uh, 
Uh, and uh, while we talk about the wisdom of having been around for you know for past crises, uh, there's also the people always remark on generals who are fighting the last war. Uh, that is, people who are in some way mired in in, in the past. Um, I, I wanted to. I mean, I, I I always find this very curious as a charter member of the post-war baby boom. That uh, since 1992, we've elected five presidents three of whom, uh, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Donald Trump, uh, were born between June and August of 1946. Uh, uh, then after that, uh, oh, of course, there's one younger, much younger president there, Barack Obama. But otherwise, all the people who uh, have run for president uh, since 1992 are either baby boomers, throw an Al Gore into that group as well, a little bit older like John Kerry, a good deal older like John McCain or Bob Dole or Joe Biden. Uh, so uh, the same the same general age group has been providing our leadership uh, for for a long time. Uh, one one great uh, what I found very refreshing, and I ask you what you make of this, uh, Jeff Sonnenfeld. I found it very refreshing when Barack Obama was elected, and he really didn't care what side you'd been on over the Vietnam War in the 1960s because he'd hardly been born uh, when this was happening. Uh, and uh, my generation's arguments had stopped dominating uh, uh, foreign policy discourse in, in the US. Um, have we ever had a, a, a generation that I know it's the demographic pig in the python, they say, but the baby boom uh, seems to have dominated our, our presidential politics for the past three and a half decades. Some of it is their size and some of it is, is candidly the quality mm -hmm. of the generation. And I say that uh, maybe as a self-interested baby boomer, as a mm -hmm. Woodstocker, as a consciousness three type. But in fact, we saw the same thing in two generations earlier uh, with the, uh, uh, the great soldier generation that Tom Brokaw relabeled the great generation is the generation ahead of them wasn't so strong. The generation after them was one of the weakest we've ever had. I'm not a huge believer in the sociology of, of, of uh, generational cohorts, but there's something to it. The Bobby Soxer generation, they were very, they were quite weak. The baby boomers were much stronger. Following the baby boomers, uh, there's no question that Gen X overall is a weak generation. The, the millennials a little stronger. Gen Z, which is coming to force right now, much stronger on a lot of, a lot of fronts. Uh, uh, there are some robust qualities that you can see as to who the major forces are, uh, but the baby boomers have, whether or not we're looking at diplomacy or higher education or uh, or, or the business world, much the way the, the great generation of the Second World War were much bigger thinkers, uh, and it was something to do with the sweeping events of the time, but I do think that we sometimes do celebrate some generations over others, and Tom Brokaw is not the first to do it, but it wasn't the baby boomers that he pointed to. Uh, a viewer of our panel, Nancy Wadler, writes, 65 years is not old anymore. Social Security should start at 70. Uh, what would be the consequences? I mean, I, I, this is very hypothetical because it's almost impossible for our Congress to pass any law, not, not least one that would deprive millions of people of Social Security. But what would be the consequences of Social Security starting at 70, let's say, instead of at uh, 62 or whatever the earliest is you can you can get it uh, uh, Laura Carstensen what what would happen well I I fear that um it would be a differential burden and um you know uh, opportunity for 
people at different levels of the socioeconomic status in society. So I think it could really hurt people who are struggling and who make earn earn the less the least amount of money. And I think for people like uh, those of us on this Zoom call, it'd be fine. Wouldn't blink an eye. We'd probably work to seventy anyway. You know. So you know, for a lot of people, it would be fine. Uh, the the challenge is how do you support people to work longer when, as I said, a good chunk of them something like a third are out of the workforce before they hit 60 because of some kind of disability. So we're going to say moving social security age to set from 65 to 70 or 62 to 70 is not going to solve that problem. So we're going to need to address it in different ways. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a difficult issue. Um, But I would like to see us have some kind of policies that were more sensitive uh, to socioeconomic status or job type um, uh, income level and to, to think about it more in a more nuanced way. In some cases, the, the uh, disabled uh, non-worker uh, may be the reason why a spouse uh, retires early as well in order to uh, uh, become a, a mm-hmm. full-time home health care worker or part-time home health care worker. Mm-hmm. Uh, so disability is connected. Um, so I'll, 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 Dr. Benninger, I won't uh, trouble you with American political issues, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Jeffrey Sonnenfeld, the the uh, retirement age is, is or Social Security uh, availability is kicked up to seventy. Uh, what would be the consequences in your view? Well, financially for the uh, the system would be very good for pension systems. On the rest, we have all these unfunded liabilities, uh, and it's a problem. Uh, in uh, we also have a problem with Social Security itself that it's a pay-as-you-go system. It's not a funded plan, uh, but that's uh, that's perhaps the benefit of financial pressure in society, not individual fairness. Uh, I do think that that uh, Laura is right, Dr. Carson is right, that that uh, it, it does create burdens on certain family situations. Uh, but I, I think uh, an additional problem is the nuance of what we do as people get older in the workforce there is overt and also implicit age bias. When you take a look at performance appraisals in most firms, they take a look at what your current uh, contributions are, and then they have another category, which is your your future potential. So they'll tend to uh, invest less in an older person uh, Mm -hmm. that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in ways. So an older person can start to become less productive and border on obsolescence just because they're not getting the training because people think, well, yeah. they only have three years left. So we have to address some implicit bias issues if we do that. So you're saying when, when the company has a training program and there's an opportunity to uh, uh, to go to some uh, uh, group uh, off-premises and learn about new, th- new techniques, the 60-year-old worker is much less likely than the 40-year-old worker to be selected. To, to get the opportunity, there's a lot of psychological testing that shows uh, in, in settings that there is a social psych work that shows there's that age bias. And and there's a presumption, you know, as, as, uh, as we've seen that in so many ways, like you know, oh, Dr. Benninger, I, I don't mean to put you on the spot, is probably one of the world's greatest authorities on epilepsy. And unless I'm really wrong here, it, it it's a huge neurological problem, but it, it doesn't happen to somebody at age 80 that, you know, we have these huge uh, uh, seizure issues that aren't properly addressed or properly treated. Uh, to, to youngsters that are that are, are not even out of their te- in their teens yet that's been misdiagnosed. So, you know, I don't think we see going to see a big uh, sudden uh, step function of health problems uh, by keeping people on a little bit longer. Dr. Benninger, what do you think would happen in Israel? Yes, go ahead. I just have to mention or to uh, to answer something because it's a very interesting thing. And of course, it's my topic, the epilepsies. And uh, there's actually also a misconception 
which is interesting that the idea that this is, for example, a genetic uh, disease or something of younger people is not completely right, that this is ex actually really existing a lot also in uh, the age group above 50, 50, 60, 70, happening much better. It's easier treated and much better controlled. This is one thing also the uh, the healthcare system is much faster to react and to treat, uh, 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 but it's existing and the incidence is actually very high in the elder age. So I'm always fighting a little bit for it because it <laughs> seems like a disease which is not important anymore once you reach uh, oh. above 40, 50, but it's actually not true. Oh, very <laughs> good for you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I want to hear from all of you. I mentioned it too with Dr. Benning earlier, but about the um, uh, what I called the King Charles problem, uh, which is that uh, it's terrific that Queen Elizabeth could be queen until 90, uh, whatever. Uh, but the result was that the person who was in line to succeed her uh, spent a lifetime uh, waiting to do this admittedly unique job and, and completely hereditary uh, job. Do we, if, if we actually succeed in recognizing the value of workers staying on longer and remaining at their jobs or at uh, senior positions uh, more and more into their 70s, if not their 80s, uh, is, is it a zero-sum game? Uh, Dr. Uh, or Professor Carstensen, uh, does that mean that a lot of people in their 40s and 50s will uh, will spend their time waiting, as they used to say, waiting for dead man's shoes. Yeah, it's the, the bench problem. Um, uh, yeah, King Charles had a problem, and a few other people do who work in jobs where there is, say, a family business, and there's one person who's running it, and unless that person leaves, there's nobody, no way to advance. To be very clear, if we look at a macroeconomic level, more people in the workforce means that the workforce grows, the economy grows, there's more money, there are more jobs. And, and so it's important not to take these these unusual situations where there is one person running the show and no one else has an opportunity and to zoom out and look at the whole economy. People made the same argument when women started entering the workforce in the 1970s. They said, well, great for them, but they're going to get into the workforce and take jobs away from men who really need it, <laughs> as if women didn't. But that didn't happen. GDP grew more people in the workforce, more money was spent. It's good for an economy to have more. So to the extent that people can work longer in an economy, it will be good for the economy overall. You say what's different about Prince Charles was he couldn't go and sign up to become king of the Netherlands and, That's right. and find find another find another outfit to head up. But I think family. you're onto something, Robert. That might be the way to start playing the political games. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Jeffrey Sonnenfeld, uh, what, what's what's the answer to that problem? Is 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 it a zero sum game, or do we, as uh, Professor Carstensen said, we all benefit from having more people in the workforce? Uh, I, I think that you know you started off by referring to uh, to 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 this book. One category of exit is I called it a, a monarchs. They're monarchs, ambassadors, uh, and uh, generals, uh, uh, and ambassadors. Uh, there are different departure styles, but the monarchs uh, are, are are not always our best. It, it is to use them as a metaphor or the reality. Uh, some mm -hmm. of us would like to have seen Queen Elizabeth stay on even longer and maybe skip a generation, but that's a whole other political storm. <laughs> I don't want to get into. Uh, however, uh, there shouldn't be a sense of dynastic uh, entitlement on positions, uh, and the monarchy is something which is uh, which is uh, not natural to us in the country where I am right now. And I, I won't judge other countries that have a monarchy where they have somebody who is different than the than the law of the land. 
but I would suggest that that um, that's a unique situation, and, and most times we should make sure there is like uh, like 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 Dr. Benninger suggested, term of office, uh, and that would be a good way of dealing with. That doesn't mean that an older person doesn't have a great opportunity to do something else still, uh, but you don't have to own a job. That sense of entitlement is is the issue. Yes, which we really uh, we have on our Supreme Court. Uh, so it's um, and in the federal bench generally. Uh, Felix Benninger, uh, thoughts about this? I'm just saying that uh, here in Israel, for example, we have the opposite problem that we are actually missing uh, well-educated workforce people. We would try to get much more people to get, uh, get into the workforce, especially also doctors are missing very much. And uh, another thing, which I don't know how much you see it in the in the U.S. We are missing actually good leaders. I'm not talking only about politics, but even also in uh, the medical field, for example, we are really missing the generation. Maybe it is something which we discussed before of people which like to lead, which are which are happy to do it, which have something about it uh, and, and do it very well. So I think there is a lot of space here for, for people which are good, well-educated uh, to find their place. And we don't have to just replace somebody who, uh, of an uh, older age to do so. Uh, are, do the rather uh, early retirement, uh, mandatory retirement ages, uh, uh, ages in Israel lead to a brain drain? I mean, are, are these are, are there many people in those positions leaving for the states or for Britain? No, I don't see it much. I, nope. uh, I don't see it much. No, I mean, uh, I have to say that the, especially in the retirement age, uh, of course, people are settled. Uh, they want to stay here. I see it the opposite. There's a lot of pressure actually of people trying to come back uh, also from the US, from uh, scientific positions. And uh, the creating of positions is sometimes lacking here. So to create the university position, many people wait actually uh, in the US to, uh, to come back. I'd just like to hear from, from all three of you, starting with you, Dr. Dr. Benio, just for, for, for final thoughts, just briefly, if there's some takeaway lesson about uh, aging and, uh, and, and leadership or, or uh, retirement, what what for you is the the uh, the nut? What what is the in brief the the lesson? I will make it very short because uh, it's more of a personal issue here in Israel. As I said before, I think uh, it's a bit of a luxury you have to discuss age of the president uh, and not any of the of the topics themselves. <laughs> uh, I would be happy to be in this situation here. I think uh, we would be really happy to have this as the biggest problem of our politics. And and uh, Professor Carstensen. I would like to shift the conversation, societal conversation, from one about old people and aging societies to one about age-diverse societies, because that's more accurately what we're experiencing at this historical time. We've got a relatively even distribution of age in the population, and that's a great resource we've never had in history. We should make good use of it. And Jeffrey Sonnenfeld. Well, uh, this is sort of an age-old problem, so to speak, <laughs> and the age-old problem, which has been exacerbated by generational politics right now, is that any of you who I'm sure all of you have seen the uh, unspoken conspiracy of grandchildren and grandparents together against the middle generation. And that middle generation often unconsciously resents the younger one, uh, that they feel the hoofbeats behind them and they look ahead with a sense of dread about what they suspect will be their own slipstream decay. And with that, they uh, there's a resentment towards uh, the seniors. Uh, the generational politics that you talk about and opportunities only made this worse. And what's awful is that we have an age of cynicism layered on top of, uh, you know, cynicism over over age. 
uh, and I think people should should act their age <laughs> instead of getting caught up in the politics here. Well, Jeffrey Sonnenfeld, uh, Felix Benninger, and Laura Christensen, thanks thanks to all three of you for taking part in this discussion today. Uh, also, many thanks to Joshua Plowd and Roni Givigliano uh, from Amer American Friends of Rabin Medical Center, uh, which produces Global Connections, and also thanks to our technical director, Bobby Grandone. Our program sponsor is the American Friends of Rabin Medical Center. It's a 501c3 national charitable organization, which represents in the U.S. Israel's largest hospital, Rabin Medical Center in Petah Tikva in greater Tel Aviv. The website is www.afrmc.org. Uh, join us next month for Changing Times in Real Estate with special guests Scott Reckler, the CEO of RxR Realty, and Steen Van Neuerberg, a professor of real estate at Columbia Business School and director of the Center for Real Estate Finance Research, as well as other guests. I'm Robert Siegel. This has been Global Connections, Navigating the New Normal. See you next month. Stay healthy and stay safe. <laughs>